was hoping she wouldn't say that was her son. <laughs> no, that's good. It's encouraging, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's encouraging to hear that, isn't it? God's doing work like that all over the world, guys. He's, he wants to do it here, too. There's so many people out there hurting. It, it, just pray that God will bring you somebody each day. It is so much fun, guys. It's exciting to do things. This guy walking by me the other day at Burger King with no shoes on. I just went and started teasing him about it. I know it seems like it'd be a mean thing, but you've got to be kind of honorary with some of these guys. And it was so much fun, this conversation I get to have with this guy, and we ended up spending some time together. It's like, there's people everywhere. This guy is hurting. Get to pray with him a little bit. It's a good time, guys. Um, and I hope you're encouraged by what's going on there. God wants to do the same thing here. Same God. A lot of hurting people here, especially in our country, guys. I don't know if you... I was talking with Martin this morning, and there's been two other famous people that have, have killed themselves. Um, one, I mean, people that had everything going for them. One was a designer, another one was a really popular chef. And then even before that, this guy named Avicii, which was a, a, a guy that had a, he was doing music, 27 years old. And what's going on? You know, it's, it's these people trying to come up with this other truth and, and trying to have their life is centered about them, and it's, a, it's all about them, and they're failing themselves. And so now, if you have no hope, what's going to happen? I think it ties right in with what God wants to teach us this morning as we go through this book we're going to go through. And it's an exciting thing because it's super encouraging. I don't want to get on you guys about, okay, let's get out there, and you guys are failing. Let's go do this. That's not at all where we're at. It's an encouraging thing. That's why when we hear the stories like that of what God's doing in Mexico, it's like, your heart, it's like, wow, I want to be a part of that. I want to do that. God, give me the boldness to where I know if I could lose my job or everybody can't stand me at work anymore, let me, let me not care about that. Because it is really important to me. Because <laughs> I don't want to lose my job. I want to be liked by the other guys around there. I don't want to face that drama every day of nobody liking me. Right? But it's one of those things that's like, man, guys, we have eternity to live with our Savior, and he's just asking us to do a little bit, right? So let's get in. What we're going to be doing is um, going through First Peter for the summer. We're going to go through First Peter and then Second Peter. It's, a, it's an awesome book. Uh, I'm nervous to go through it because you guys know there's some very bold statements in First Peter. There's things that go are very contrary to how the world wants us to run our lives. And Peter comes in there and just talks about what's going on and what, this is what God's life looks like. This is what his design looks like. This is what he's purposed in our lives. And it is very contrary to the ways that we're being taught and even some of the ways that we're living. And so as we go through this, I just pray you guys would be open up to what God wants to share with you, how he wants to encourage you, and especially this morning as he wants you to understand what true joy is, how exciting it is to go through trials, and what that means for us. How awesome it is to serve a God like him. So in 1 Peter, you guys know this guy that wrote this book, because he is one of the biggest goofballs that Jesus had with him, right? He is... One of the funniest, I think, characters, because there's these great things that he did, and then there is these massive failures that he did. <laughs> and it was just up and down, up and down, up and down, which was great, because I think a lot of times we can relate it to our own lives and how that's what ends up happening. Is this is, okay, I'm doing awesome with the Lord, and then I fall. Great. But then his grace is there every single time. So some of the things about Peter is that his name was mentioned more than anybody else in the New Testament except for Jesus. Did you guys know that? Probably because he was always in trouble. Uh, the other thing is that he was spoke more often of than any other disciples, and Jesus spoke to him more than the other disciples. There's more dialogue in the Gospels with him than any other one. Jesus also rebuked him the most. 
out of all the disciples. He's the only one that dared rebuke Jesus out of the disciples. You guys remember that story? Just like, what? Rebuke Jesus. Then he spoke more boldly of Jesus than any other disciples. Yet he is the one that openly denied Jesus Christ, right? The three times. So you see the up and downs. And then Jesus praised Peter more than any of the others. But then he was the only one that was addressed by Jesus as Satan. <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> Who's this guy writing this thing? <laughs> then it goes on and it says, okay, here's, here's what, some of the things with Peter that he, got, he was able to experience with Jesus Christ. So one of the things that he got to experience with Jesus was success in fishing, right? Any of you guys have a good buddy that's a good luck charm to go out fishing with? Or maybe they're the one that catches all the fish and you come back with nothing. Well, Jesus was opposite. He was like, here, you can have all the fish. Well, you see that twice that he's done that with Peter. Uh, he got to walk on water with Jesus. It's pretty outstanding. It's an exciting thing to do. He saw Jesus transfigured into his glory, and he got to see Moses and Elijah with him. You guys remember the inner three that we got to go up there, James, John, and Peter. They're the ones that really Jesus kept close to him to see some things that the other disciples didn't get to see. So he got to see Jesus raise Jairus' daughter from the dead, which is a neat story if you guys look at that and then look at what Peter did in his own life in Acts. Remember, he actually did almost the exact same story. It was like Jesus was preparing him, giving him that faith that he was going to need later on. Uh, he talked about the end of ages with them, like when they sat down with him. If you notice, it was just the four of them, actually. It was James, John, uh, Peter, and Andrew sat down and said, hey, what do you mean by these things? What's going to happen? And that's over in Mark chapter 5. Or sorry, chapter 13. And then with Jesus, uh, he was, you, you remember they had the, the disciples there, and then Jesus says, hey, I want you three to come with me. And they go up there. I think maybe Andrew is with them. But they go up there, and they're closest to him when he's going through his agony, right? So you've got to be there with Jesus when he's going through his agony as he's getting ready to go to the cross. And then the last one I have is that his, he had a personal visit from Jesus after the resurrection. So Peter's got a, he's seen a lot. So when we go through this letter, you guys have to know that there's a lot of authority there. And a lot of the people that were getting this or passing around this letter, this is one of those ones, wow, this is Peter. This is that guy. That, he got to walk on water with Jesus. <laughs> he got to see all these amazing things. This guy's coming with authority. And so you see this letter, and we'll get into it in just a second, but it ends up getting passed around to different churches. And I like that that happens. Because there's a lot of times when Paul or somebody else will write directly to a church. And so then that gives critics... What they feel is the liberty to say, that, oh, that was only for that time. That was only for those believers in that place. That was for their culture. And that's a great thing about Peter is that he says, hey, it's to all these people and I want you. And so it was a letter that kept being passed on. It was an encouragement. So if it's for all these different churches and all these different cultures and all these different cities, what does that mean for us? It applies to us as well because it's two believers. That's what this letter is for. Now, more specifically, we could look at it and we can say, okay, let's look at Paul and let's look at Peter. We know Paul was sent to the Gentiles and Peter was sent to the Jews. So there are a lot of things that we'll look in his context. That there are things that are applying to the Jewish people as well because that's who he was sent to. So there's a lot of things there. Um, but all of it, you guys know how the Word of God is. We can apply so much to our own lives. Keith, can you bring it down a little bit on the volume because it keeps getting, I feel like I have to cut quiet. Whisper. <laughs> so... As we get into this, there's going to be a lot of examples from Peter's life that I want to reference back to. Because even when I went through verses 3 through 9, you could just see this restoration that Peter had to go through. And so he had absolute authority to speak about this. 
because you're going to see it trailing along. We're going to go through that a little bit, but it's so neat to go through his letter and know here's where Peter was. This is what he did with Jesus Christ. So he has absolute authority to talk about this. It's so neat and he's so encouraging that if he's doing that, of course, through the same spirit, we can do the same, right? So let's go ahead and let's open it up and start in verse 1 of First Peter chapter 1. And I hope we can get through this because, man, we're in trouble. (laughs) That's that's a little over a half hour. All right. God's good. He'll just speak to us exactly what we need to hear this morning, what we need to be encouraging. So let's go to verse 1. It says, To the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus and Galatia, uh, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Those first two verses we could spend all morning on. And it's tempting, especially verse 2. There is so much packed into that verse. But first of all, look at just when he gets into it and he starts talking about them as being pilgrims. Now, this is a people group and it talks about the dispersion because what's going on is the persecution is getting harder, right? This is getting near the end. Temple hasn't been destroyed yet. A lot of people believe that First Peter was written around, they say, 62 to 67 B.C. Or A.D., sorry. A.D. And what... The temple was destroyed in 70, right? So it was right before this. But what was going on is now the, the Roman Empire is getting more and more against uh, the Christians. They're finding out that the Christianity is not just a sect of the Jews, but it actually is a lot more potent than that. It's its own deal. And so they want to snuff it out. And we know later on, Nero comes into the scene and does horrendous things to Christians, puts them out. That's where a lot of the Colosseum fights happen. They take women and children and their men and throw them out there to the lions for people to watch that to happen. Nero uh, uses some of, his, of, of the Christians as basically lights for his party. So he puts them on a stake and lights them on fire. Disgusting. And this is some of the things they're going to go through. And I tell you guys these things because the Caesars after this, the first two centuries of, of, of the Christian church are horrible. The persecution that they have. But the purification process that goes on, their faith and how it's built through this whole process of persecution, that's what Peter encourages them and like even what my dad had shared is that, you know, when you have a place that is dependent on Jesus, every Christ, or Jesus Christ every day, you're going to grow quick. Like when you need food that day, you have to cry out to him. You can't just go get it yourself or have some nice organization give it to you. It becomes very real. It's like you do have to provide this. It has to come out of nothing because <laughs> I don't know how else it's going to happen. And then that faith just grows. And so through persecution, it's an awesome way and you get to see awesome things happen. But I also look and I, I know there's a lot of uh, people get down on, like, you've got to be persecuted to have any growth. But I think also in these times that we have, it's an awesome opportunity because what does God do with us when we're in this time of, of, of plenty? He gives us the ability to go out and be and support those people that are going through those things, right? That's our responsible. Being those rich Christians that it talks about in Timothy, we better be sharing. We better be going out and sharing our resources, what God's blessed us with, with our brothers and sisters in other countries and other places that need to have that. That's our responsibility. So we still have an awesome part in what God's plan is, and like we have to go out and find persecution to be a better Christian. He tests us wherever we're at, right? You guys know work can bring a lot of testing. (laughs) The things we have to deal with people on this this earth. So that second part, that verse, uh, and not the second part, the, the verse two, it says elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, this is one of those verses that I'm not going to get deep into. Uh, it's one of those arguments that I, I've had lots of times. I don't enjoy going into it. Uh, there's a lot, and you guys know that a lot of uh, uh, Reformed theology, and maybe some of you guys have Reformed theology. That's fine. You know, you're Calvinists. That's fine, guys. I had great friends in, in Bible college that were Calvinists. 
uh, or you're Arminius and you're completely on the other side. And um, if you guys don't know these terms, you can ask me afterwards. But there's an argument that always comes up. There's always this division that takes place. There's this clashing, and and it's just like, where's Jesus in the middle of this? Where is he? It's great you guys have, you're you're believing, and you think that it's this way, and you believe that God's revealed it to you this way through the scriptures, but for you to treat your brother and sister as if they're a complete moron because they believe a different thing, it's not okay. That's what I just want to bring out of the scripture. I don't want to go through, and here's here's what this means, you know, as far as the elect. We can go through that another time, but this morning I just don't feel it's good. I want to point out, though, the elect according to his foreknowledge, chosen according to his nature. See, God's foreknowledge, his nature is his omniscience, okay? That he's all-knowing. And that's what it refers to right there. He's all-knowing. So his prior knowledge of what's going to happen, his prior knowledge of what his grace is going to do to us. And we can go on, we can talk about elect, but you know, as far as that's all concerned, it's another time and another study that I would love to go through with you guys. Let me just read something really quick with you on Wearsby. I really enjoyed what I read here and how Wearsby kind of explained just salvation through the working of, of, of even in the Trinity. And so he says this. This is Warren Wearsby in uh, Be Hopeful. It's his commentary on First Peter. It says, But the plan of salvation includes more than the Father's electing love. It also includes the work of the Spirit in convicting the sinner and bringing him to the faith in Christ. The best commentary on this is 2 Thessalonians 2, 13 and 14. That is a great scripture if you guys want to write it down. 2 Thessalonians 2, 13 and 14. It says, Also the Son of God had to die on the cross for our sins, or there would be no salvation. We have been chosen by the Father, purchased by the Son, and set apart by the Spirit. It takes all three if there is to be true experience of salvation. And this is the part I really enjoy that he said. He says, As far as God, the Father, is concerned, I was saved when he chose me in Christ before the foundation of the world. As far as the Son is concerned, I was saved when, I, when he died for me on the cross. But as far as the Spirit is concerned, I was saved on or one night, May 1945, when I heard the gospel and received Christ. Then it all came together, but it took all three persons of the Godhead to bring me to salvation. If we separate these ministries, we will either deny divine sovereignty or human responsibility. And that would be lead us to heresy. I think it was well put. I really enjoyed how he put that. Um, and you guys can go, what he's going off there, that scripture is that Second Thessalonians. That's really where he's, he's coming from. So now as we go on, okay, you have this election, you have this thing that God's called us to, and we're excited to be in it. But then the thing is, is, the next part of it is that in the foreknowledge of God in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience. And that's a neat thing is that we get to have this sanctification. We get to have this, this blessing and now we obey in it. And the thing is, is that's what election leads us to. That's like that next step. That's what we're excited to do. Like, yes, it's so good I get to be sanctified through your work on the cross, Lord. I want to obey what's going on here. And then you come to the very last part of it, the third part of it, and here's where it gets even better because the thing with me, and I know probably with you guys, is that we fall short of sanctification. We fall short of obeying, don't we? And that's where the blood of Jesus Christ sprinkles us. You know, there's only three other places in the scriptures. Now, there's other instances, but a a very direct, like this is what you need to do in this situation, a sprinkling of blood in the Old Testament. So there's three different situations that they sprinkle blood on the people. The first one was when the law was given at Mount Sinai. After the law was given, Moses went out there and he sprinkled the, play, the people with blood. That was the first one. Then what happened is then the, when the first priests were ordained. So they took Aaron and they took his sons and they sprinkled them with blood. Okay. 
Then the last one, and this one kind of jumps out of it because it wasn't a group of people, but when a leper was cleansed, they would sprinkle blood on the leper. Interesting, right? I like what David Guzik says. He points out this. He says, The sprinkling of the blood of Jesus on us accomplishes the same things. First, a covenant is formed. Then we are ordained as priests to him. And finally, we are cleansed from our corruption and sin. Isn't that neat? So you look at that verse and you're like, okay, so for the obedience, but then it goes on and says, and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus. Because <laughs> we've got to have that. And what it does and it brings us into, it's such a neat thing. That we get to have this covenant that's formed through that blood and we're called to be priests and finally that we're cleansed from the corruption and the sin that we have in our lives. Now in verses 3 through 9, you guys will read that with me. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled. And that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are keeping the power, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the, gen- the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise honor, and glory in the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you, or who have not seen you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy, inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now when we go through this, this is one of those places that automatically, right away, you could see that Peter has walked through this. This is something that he has experienced in his own life. This is something, and I, I think that's one of the biggest things. You guys know your own testimony with Jesus Christ, right? As you guys have walked with him, it's so exciting to share with somebody else what God has done, right? How he's used those horrible situations in your life, and he's brought glory to himself as you walk out the other side, just giving him the glory and praising him because you can see the work that's been done in your life. It's a powerful thing. So when somebody else is going through something hard, you're able to look, come alongside them and show them the hope that they have, and the glory that they get to partake in. Because you've been there, right? You've been there, so you know what it's like. So when Peter gives us this, this is something he's been through. So I don't know who better could pin these words except for Peter that experienced this grace like Peter did. And the story we find about Peter is, if you guys want to turn over to Luke 22, probably one of the most heartbreaking scriptures you guys will read in the New Testament In Luke 22, verse 61. Now what happens, you guys know the story. Um, They're sitting down. uh, Peter's really boastful, like, I can take on the world. I'll do anything for you, Jesus. Um, You know, in verse 60, he says, Man, I do not know what you're saying. And immediately while he's speaking, the rooster crowed. Now, what's going on in this whole situation? You guys know. He was told he was going to deny Jesus. And right before this, he said, I will never deny you. I'll go to death for you, Jesus. Like, that's where he was, right? That's how he thought he was. This relationship he had with Jesus Christ was, there's nothing that's going to stop. There's nothing going to get in between us, Lord. I'll die for you. And then we can read that last little bit where he's telling the last person, you know, I have no idea who the guy is, and it seals what he was told was going to happen. And then that sad verse, that verse that just breaks your heart is in verse 61. And it says, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. 
Can you imagine that, guys? You imagine having that happen, like you're, you're so strong, you know you're not going to deny, there's no way you're going to walk, we'll go to the cross with Jesus, I'll do anything for him. And then you fail and you mess up those three different times, not just once, twice, but that third time, and then your Savior looks over at you. Something we've never personally experienced because we've never physically seen him. To physically have your Savior look over at you. Can you imagine the things that are going through Peter's head? Man, I really messed up. I failed my Savior so bad. (laughs) I betrayed him. I separated myself from him. I'm no longer worthy to even be around this guy anymore. Have you guys ever had those thoughts? Has Satan come and beat you up about what's going on in your life? Because you messed up, right? Now, what's going on in Jesus' mind? Because we would say, you know what? He has every right to be bummed out that Peter would deceive or to, to betray him like that. This was Peter. He still, he was a very close guy to Jesus. Jesus took him everywhere with him, those special moments that he had with him. He's the only guy that got out of the boat. What other human does that? <laughs> Here's the guy with the most faith that's, that's saying there's no way. And he turns from him and he looks over at him. The thing that I love about Jesus is he's not that way with this, is he? You know that Jesus was just hurt for Peter at that moment because he knew he was going to be just raked over the coals. As he had to go through this process for these next three days of, of what he's done to his Savior. And Jesus' heart is just broken for him in that moment. I know none of this says that here, but we're going to go to a scripture in just a little bit. just shows his compassion for Peter and his love and his grace that he pours out on Peter. And I love that part of scripture because it shows, guys, that Jesus is the same with us. Don't listen to those lies. He still wants to use us. And he used Peter mightily, didn't he? And Peter actually did go to the cross later on. He just had to learn some stuff before he went there. Just remember that. We have to learn some stuff before we can do what we think we can do. <laughs> that faith gets tested, right? So turn over. I want to finish up this story in John 21. I love this. I call it breakfast with Jesus. And I'd love to have breakfast with Jesus. So what ends up happening is Peter, you guys remember the first part of how Peter was called. He's out there fishing all night, can't catch any fish. So Jesus says, hey, cast your net over the other side. They pull in a ton of fish. Hey, I want to follow you now. You know how to fish. <laughs> He's like, no, I want to make you guys fishers of men follow me. Isn't that what he said to Peter? So Peter, Peter spends about three years with Jesus Christ, learning how to fish for men. Has awesome experiences. Is empowered to go out and cast out demons and heal people. All these neat things. Gets to walk in the water, like I said. Gets to see Jesus Christ transfigured. This life that's just blown up. But he failed Jesus, and in chapter 21, he goes back to his old path. He goes back to what he used to identify himself as. See, Jesus Christ called him to a different identity, didn't he? He was a fisherman. And men, I want to encourage you, and also women, watch where you put your identity. You know what? The Lord might have to take that away from you. You might be really good at something, and all of a sudden, he needs to take that from you because he wants to show you what your true identity is. So he makes him fishers of men. That's his identity. He's a follower of Jesus Christ, and his job is to fish for men. But he goes back because he's been ruined. He, he messed it up. So he goes back to fishing. And it's so cool, this story, because Jesus loves Peter so much that the way he restores him, he does the same exact thing that he did when he first calls him. They're out fishing. He's not doing a good job. And he tells him, hey, cast your net over on this side. You have to know this guy. He's just like, bing. I remember this. I've heard this story before. 
So anyways, they're hauling a lot of fish. They know it's Jesus. They don't say anything when they come up there. You know, in verse 12, it says, Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you, knowing that it was the Lord, of course. And then Jesus came and he took the, the bread and he gave it to them, and likewise the fish. And this is how the third uh, time that Jesus showed himself to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So he's coming, and now this whole story that, that comes on and, and talks about how he restores Peter back. And I want to show you guys the grace of Jesus Christ and how he brings Peter back to that relationship with him. And then we're going to go back over to First Peter and see, what did Peter write about? Where, you know, it's an awesome thing to take this and, and put it into what he penned in, in First Peter. So let's go ahead and read in verse 15. It says, So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, and you've got you to know that he's just dreading. I, I would dread. Like, what is he going to say? I messed up big time. But instead he says, Hey, uh, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? That had to kill. Because in his mind, he's probably thinking a whole different story with Jesus. Oh, man. <laughs> now he doesn't think I love him. And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Ouch. You guys like it when somebody asks you a couple times, when you've already told them the answer, especially you guys, you patient men. <laughs> have to repeat yourself but when somebody's questioning you like that it's like what's going on do you not believe me and he says yes lord you know that i love you and he said to him tend to my sheep and then verse 17 he says to him a third time simon son of jonah do you love me and this is <laughs> peter was grieved because he said to him a third time how many times did he deny him so three times right jesus is making a point here so he's grieved, and he says, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep, for most assuredly I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoke this, he said to him, those same words that he said when he first met Peter, Follow me. Complete restoration. Takes him right back through the same thing and says, this is what I've called you to. Here's your identity. You're going to feed my sheep. That's what I want you to do now. I want you to follow me again. And he says, you know, when you were young, you thought you had it figured out. <laughs> That's basically what he's saying there. And you went your own way and you thought, yeah, you're the master of this, but you know, you found out that it's not like that. And this grace that he just pours out on Peter is just <laughs> so encouraging, isn't it? And now we go back over to 1 Peter. And now look what Peter has to say. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from, all, from the dead. Do you guys realize that if Jesus hadn't died and rose again, if he did not have that resurrection part, where would that left Peter? Forever regretful, right? Always tortured by what he had done to this guy that taught him. He would have been left in a horrible place, just like us. If there was no resurrection, we'd be left in a horrible place because we'd still be in that death. It had to be conquered. And so when he says that, he says, you know, this is a blessing, guys, who according to his abundant mercy 
has begotten us again to a living hope. And it's so good because there would not have been any hope there without it being a living hope. The reason we get to have a living hope is because Jesus lives today, doesn't he? This is something that's going on right now. That's why it's a living hope. It's something that we get to be with right now, interact with, and we know he's coming back soon. So it's something very real to us. It's not a momentary thing. It's not something I had a hope over and it kind of dwindled away and now I have another thing and now another thing and another distraction. And No, this is a consistent living hope. Never ending. Eternal. So good. Nothing that this world can give. (laughs) Absolutely not, right? Then it goes on to the next verse in 4 and it says, And to an inheritance, not only do we get this living hope, that comes through Jesus Christ because he raised from the dead. But we get an inheritance, incorruptible and undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for us, for you, who are kept by the power of God through the faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So now what happens is he goes on and he talks about this, what's reserved for us, this, this awesome inheritance. Not only are we in Jesus Christ, but we also get into this inheritance that he's bringing us because we're sons and daughters. Something that Peter gets to be a part of. And then he says in verse 5, who are kept by the power of God. Good thing it is by the power of God. Because you know what? Peter tried to keep himself, didn't he? When he said those words to Jesus Christ, there's no way I'm going to betray you. That's by his own power. And look what he did. Not just once did he mess up, but those three times he messed up. And so by the power, we're kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. And this is something that is so applicable to us today. And I'm glad he put various in there because it's not just one trial. It's not like, hey, this is only going to work if you're being burned at the stake. You know, that word's manifold. It means various or many colored. And that's good because God deals with every one of us in a very specific way, doesn't he? He knows what's perfect for us to grow us. And so some of the situations you find yourselves in right now, Guess what he's doing, guys? He needs to grow you. And we're going to go in just a second. He's going to talk about why. It's about the faith that's in you. And so the different walk that you have to go through. But what Peter wants to do is say, hey, guys, I know you're going through this. This is the people that have been kicked out of their homes. Anybody been kicked out of their home and not anywhere to go? This is a tough situation. If you've been there, you guys know what I'm saying. You guys can relate with these people. They lost that. So then... And they have to go and find these other places. So he's saying, hey guys, I understand that this is what's going on. Let's talk about reality. I don't want to just overlook and say, hey, have joy. I understand you're going through these fiery trials. And you know what? It's even probably going to get worse. And it was at that time. We know it got a lot worse for the Christians. And so he's preparing them. But he says, in this you greatly rejoice because of what you have. Now here's where it's going to get. And you guys will see, we have a little sign up. You know, we have the Exodus sign. We have a First Peter one. And it talks about a change of perspective. And this is where it gets really important is because the perspective is everything, isn't it? Because he says, you guys, in this you rejoice. Well, guess what? If you're not thinking about that, you're not going to rejoice, are you? You're going to think about every problem you have, every person that doesn't like you, every person you don't like, everything that's been said that was wrong to you, the things you've been falsely accused of, all these you, 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 you. You see where the focus is? It's not on Jesus Christ. It's not on that redemption. It's not on that grace that he's giving you. It's not on this inheritance that you guys get to have. That's a good thing. That's a perspective to have, isn't it? That's a focus to have. And so as we walk through these hard times, which we're not dismissing that they're hard, yeah, they're hard. But 
Jesus wants to give you guys a way and a focus, and Peter explains to him, this is where you guys need to focus on. So in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, and that's a curious thing, if need be, who, who's saying I need this? <laughs> I don't want this. <laughs> I wouldn't say I need this. Peter didn't think he needed that, right? But God, he knows what we need, and so for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Verse 7, that the genuineness, and this is the reason, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so we look at this and we say, okay, it's to prove the genuineness of faith. You know, it's one thing for a person to say, guys, I have so much faith. My faith is so great. It's never been tested. <laughs> but I, I have more faith than any of you guys. And you're like, <laughs> how do we know that? How do I know that you have great faith? Unless it's been tested. Unless I can give you guys testimony of what God's taken me through and the places he's dropped me at the end of this road that's like, where do I go now? Who am I going to trust in? And then he comes in with an awesome thing and does something just so spectacular. And then I can encourage you guys, like, this is how God works. He really does stuff. It's not just in the Old Testament or the New Testament, something that was in the past. He's doing it today. And we get encouraged, and so that faith has to be tested, or else, how's it going to grow? Where's it going to go? How can you even say you have faith if you don't even know you have faith? It's not just this, this word thought of, yes, this is what I believe I have. It's something that has to be tested. And so that's what he's saying there is the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold, too. You guys know that. Right here, if I had some gold in this pen, let's say it's the same weight as this pen. I don't know, ounce, maybe two ounces. Let's just say it's an ounce. You guys know this would be $1,300 worth of gold. Sweet, right? I want to find some. <laughs> That'd be an exciting thing. That's what, that's, but the funny thing about that is that's so tiny, right? A little ounce of gold, and it means so much. It's like, wow, oh, it's so much money. It's such an exciting thing. This gold is so precious. When we look at it, it's, he's saying, you guys, your faith is so much better than that. Why? Because it's an eternal deal. It's something between you and the Father. It's some relationship that you get to grow closer to the being that you're going to be with for all eternity. And so how exciting is that? Of course it's better than gold. But just like gold, and this is why he says fiery, and he, he puts all these things in there, because you guys know how to refine gold. I mean, they use chemicals nowadays, but back in the old days, it was by fire, wasn't it? And they said the person that was trying to find the purest gold, what they would do is they would look into the kiln and until they could see the reflection in the gold, they knew that it still had impurities in it. That's a cool illustration, isn't it? Because we're going to be in that fire until the Father can see his reflection in us, then he knows there's not any impurities in there. Praise God for that. That's a good thing. If I can draw closer and bear his image like I was supposed to have, by these little things I have to go through in this temporal world, to have this eternity with him, that I get to understand him and see his grace and his glory even more, please. It's so temporal. It's so lasting what we come out on the other side with. Oh boy, we're not going to make it. <laughs> Moving on. In verse 8, it says, Whom we have not seen love, so not seeing Jesus Christ yet have loved. And see, Peter's talking to people. He'd seen, seen Jesus, but he's talking to these guys that said, you guys haven't seen Jesus, but you still love him. Like, that's, that's, that's awesome. And he says, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Guys, when we come to that place where God's testing our faith, he's encouraging us, 
and we have the right perspective, when we're looking and we're focusing on him and what he's done in our lives, we end up having this joy. And what that word says, inexpressible, that means basically you can't explain it with words. And I hope you guys have experienced that where somebody's come to you and they know you're going through a hard time in your life and they ask you, why in the world are you so happy? How do you have this joy? I know my, my mother-in-law, Mary, she had a lot of things going on in her life. And uh, a lot of medications that she was on and just, she suffered a lot. That lady had a smile on her face every time. Unless I was causing problems then. <laughs> but it was so cool to see that she had such a joy. And I'm so thankful that my wife has that too. No matter what you're going through, to try to, you know, to have that joy that you can't explain. And it's because of the focus. Where is the focus? If it gets on you, I guarantee you guys that joy is going to disappear because you know what? It is hopeless. You're probably going to deny Jesus even though you think you never would. But he's got a plan to restore and to bring grace into our lives and it's just an exciting thing in what he wants to do. And praise God for that. And just that last little bit, if your worship team wants to come up, We'll go over in in verses 10 through 12. And this is where Peter wants to explain just a little bit more to them on how important this is in their lives. Of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time. The Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified before the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. We just read that this morning in Isaiah, right? In verse 12, To them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us they were ministering to the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which the angels desire into. This is why this is exciting. This is why this is an encouragement, especially to those believers. Then and now, as if you guys are going through those trials, this is something that the prophets were excited to see. They didn't understand it fully. They didn't understand what the salvation meant. They prophesied about it, I mean, blatantly. Isaiah 53, it's like plain as day talking about what Jesus was going to have to do. The iniquity is being put on him. And now you come to this point and Peter's like, guys, this is what they've all been excited about. You guys are living it right now. You guys see how big of a privilege that is? Even in your own lives right now, ask yourself the question, why was I not born before Jesus ever died on the cross? Why did he not put me in that culture and in that time to where I had to look forward to him and wonder and have this mystery and have this faith and this hope that was in a different way? Why didn't he put me there? You guys know how hard that would be? But now we get to be in this time. Are you guys excited about that? Now you're called the temple of the Holy Spirit. You know they weren't called that. We get to be the temple now. He's saying, guys, what they were looking forward to and even what the angels want to see. You know, the angels are like hanging over the corner, over the edge, like, this is crazy. (laughs) He put his spirit in them. Can you believe that? (laughs) Did he not know what they did the other day? It's the cool thing. It's like this grace that's been poured out on us. We get to live out what the prophets and what they talked about. And that's where Peter's like, you guys, be excited. You're going through a hard time right now. You're getting kicked out of your home. Maybe even some family members he's taken to heaven already, but be excited because this is that time they talked about. You get abused of God mightily. You get to have the Spirit in you. You should have a joy that you can't even talk about, you can't even write about. It's so exciting. So remember that as you guys go through your trials, you have your hard times at your work, you have everybody pitted against you, you have spouses, you have these hard things you guys are having to deal with in your life, you have a disease or a virus or whatever you're going through, guys. Remember this, where we are right now with Jesus Christ. 
what we are in him. The grace that he wants to pour on you guys, even if you guys fail, he wants to restore you and just say, you know what, follow me. Come back and follow me. This is your identity now. This is where you rest. Don't worry about that other stuff. And praise God that we get to have that and it's not just a dead end like what this world offers, right? Full of consequences in tow. And thank the Lord for his grace. Let's pray. Lord.